A reading from Ezekiel. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded And as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy mortal, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. Then he said to me, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live, and I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from Acts. When the day of Pentecost had come, the disciples were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Midas, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? 
But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. When the paraclete comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of the truth who comes from the Father, the Spirit will testify on my behalf. You also are to testify because you've been with me from the beginning. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to the one who sent me, yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the paraclete will not come to you. But if I go, I will send the Spirit to you, and when the Spirit comes, the Spirit will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because they do not trust in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father and you will see me no longer, about judgment because the ruler of this world has been condemned. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, the Spirit will guide you into all the truth. For the Spirit will not speak on the Spirit's own, but will speak whatever the Spirit hears, and the Spirit will declare to you the things that are to come. The Spirit will glorify me, because the Spirit will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason I say, the Spirit will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Gospel of the Lord. Good morning and happy Pentecost to you. I'm going to try to go fast. I was really long at 8 o'clock. Sorry. Um, you can just make the universal sign for choking if I get too long and I'll, I'll, I'll cough out my last words. Um, you know, this is the time of the year where we recognize the gift of the Spirit. And of course, listen, the Spirit always was, always is, and always will be. So frankly, this is not the first time the Spirit shows up. It's just the first time a group of people really recognized it and called it by that language, right? And uh, it's difficult because Spirit is kind of an ambiguous image. What does it look like? Something like Casper the Friendly Ghost, perhaps. And that's why I want to just spend a little bit of time, short time, by telling you that spirit, both in Hebrew, that's ruach, and in Greek, that's pneuma, really means moving air. Moving air. What kind of air moves? Wind, and of course, the air you're moving right now, breath. We hear this image in the Hebrew Bible that the world was disorderly when God started to create it, and the spirit God, the breath of God, went 
and all of a sudden land was separate from water, and water was separate from sky, and living things came to be, plants and animals and human beings created in God's image. It's because God breathed on the world, and God's breath is so extraordinary, it makes new life wherever it goes. Think how different that is from our life. We breathe in oxygen, we breathe out CO2, we don't always make new life. God's breath does new life. There's a world and a universe. It continues in Genesis 2 when God creates a human being, sculpts a body out of clay, looks like a human, but it has no life until God bends down and breathes into it. The clay takes its first breath and is alive because God has given it a spirit, a breath even continues in that story about Moses, where Moses goes to the burning bush. Against his will, God says, go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Moses says, no, thank you. And God says, no, really, go to Pharaoh. And Moses' question and response is, if I go, who sent me? We've got all kinds of gods in the world. We've got Osiris and Ra and Beth and Anubis. What's your name? And you know, we read this in the Bible, God says, I am who I am, which in Hebrew sounds just like this. Pharaoh says, Moses, who sent you? (sighs) Really, who who sent you? Um, Moses. (sighs) It's interesting because that name in Hebrew that sounds so light like that, is so holy that Jewish people to this day don't write it or speak it. That's why if you go to the synagogue, the scripture's on a scroll because they can't touch the paper. The paper has God's name on it. It's too holy to be touched. Interestingly, the rabbis say, even though we can't say it without defiling ourselves, it's too holy for human beings. It's exactly what we say that gives us life. The minute we're born, we come out and we say God's name, sometimes more loudly than others. The rabbis say it's what's keeping us alive right now. The Spirit of God is what's keeping us alive. And the last thing we do, our last moment on earth, we breathe God's name one last time and the Spirit leaves us. It's a beautiful image about God's presence to give and make life. And of course, it's exactly what's happening in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is brought out, and this is figurative. He's in the middle of the desert, and there's a bunch of bones, and they're not just scattered and strewn. They're dry, like really dry. And God says, can the bones live? And a good politician, Ezekiel, says, only you know, (laughs) which means no, (laughs) right? If God ever asks if you know something, just say, only you know. That's the biblical response. He says, uh, yeah, only you know. And God says, well, listen, go ahead and preach to the bones, and they'll come together, prophesy, speak a word to them. So sure enough, you know, the head bone's connected to the neck bone, and the neck bone's connected to, well, the backbone or the shoulder bone, depending which version you know. Hear the word of the Lord, and the bones come together, and there they are with flesh and blood, and you know what they don't have? They don't have any spirit in them. And I want to suggest to you that this figurative speech is really fine because I have quite a few moments when my flesh and blood are fine and I don't have much spirit in me. I'm talking about I can breathe in ordinary breaths. The air is coming in and coming out. But this is about breathing 
extraordinary breath, right? That's the whole point of the word holy, is that we don't just do ordinary stuff, we do extraordinary stuff. This is written to people who are in exile, who are crushed, whose lives are full of tragedy. You know any of those people around? We don't even have to look really far, right? This is a story about where we are in ordinary moments and the fact that God would like to give us some extraordinary life, especially when it seems impossible and dry. It's almost like these people who are living in tragedy are being recreated by the Spirit. That's the story Pentecost. Pentecost is not a Christian holiday, well, at least not first. It comes 50 days after Passover, not Easter. It's a huge religious festival. The crowd in Jerusalem swelled likely to 10 times the normal, the normal population, went from 4,000 to 40,000 for this holiday. The disciples are in a moment of despair. After all, they'd spent three years with this man who, curiously enough, often knocked the wind out of them. <laughs> he would say things to them that they would just not get <laughs> and scratch their head and think about leaving. I mean, at the very end, Peter said, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel to show he didn't get it? <laughs> and Jesus would say, I'm not worried about that. And Peter thought, what, what, what do you mean you're not worried about? That's what everybody's worried about. Interesting, they had these moments where Jesus knocked the wind out of them, but they have these other moments where they just breathe this just light little breath of pure oxygen from him, enough that they could not go anywhere else. So compelling was the air coming out of Jesus that they followed him. And then the air got knocked down. You talk about um, unnecessary violence on Friday, they watched this man they'd followed for three years get killed. And in the middle of their despondency, they had these experiences of the risen Jesus that were terrifying to them. I mean, they didn't rejoice. They were afraid. Every time the risen Jesus shows up, he has to say, don't be scared. <laughs> you only say that when people are scared, right? It's important to point that out. And then 10 days ago, he went up to heaven, right? That's Ascension Day. And he's no longer before them. And now they just don't know what to do because they could be next. A bunch of people. Last time there were a bunch of people in Jerusalem. This is what happened to their friend. Here they are with the doors locked out of breath. And notice what happens on Pentecost. As they're there in the middle of their tragedy, something truly extraordinary happens. There's this sound like a violent breath like and somehow somehow they breathed it in these are like people who didn't even want to be found who have now been found by God and notice what they do there is this power that comes upon them uh, divided tongues as a fire now you know we usually think of mick jagger's tongue like uh you, you know the rolling stones maybe please don't think of that image this is all biblical code speech it's not like there was a literal tongue of fire wagging over their head now that really would have been terrifying okay we just to be honest about that tongue in greek means language 
And fire in the Bible is a code word that means two things. Refinement, like you refine metal, you burn up the dross so that it can be pure and worthwhile. And fire is also an image of giving light. And what happens is these people get this language of light and refinement and they don't stay in the room with the doors locked and have the Eucharist. They go out. And they dare to speak to people who didn't even know that God was looking for them. And they're able somehow to speak across racial and gender and ethnic and linguistic boundaries. People are able to hear words of refinement and life and light who didn't even know they should be listening for those words. That's the miracle of Pentecost. It's a neat story, and man, don't you think that there are people in our country, particularly in Washington, who could use the ability to speak across differences right now. To hear words of refinement. To hear words of light. I mean, shoot, there's people we don't even look that far away, do we? To speak across these moments of division and to hear new life. A life, strangely enough, that God imagines will be for us together. Not uniform, but unified. I think this is what Jesus has in mind when we hear this other bit about the paraclete. Paraclete is this really, wor- really weird word. Sometimes your Bible will translate it as comforter or advocate. But what it means in Greek, you have to imagine lots of little um, hyphens. It's really like the longest compound word there is. Paraclete is the one who stands beside you. <laughs> so imagine that in one word. And Jesus says, listen, if I don't go from out in front of you, you won't get the one who comes and stands beside you, so it will be better. Now, if you're like me, you think, no, that, how could that be better? If Jesus is in front and I can walk in his footsteps, I know right where to go. As if I've ever really followed like that, let's be honest. Scary to know where to go. Do you know where to walk after Friday? I don't. I don't. And this is what Jesus says in the middle of your confusion. I'm going to send somebody with you who will walk beside you, who you can put your arm around and will support you in your journey. This is the paraclete, the one who comes next to you. And of course, Jesus does not have in mind that this is something that just God does for us. Of course, all this about Pentecost is that God has in mind that we be those people. That we be the ones who walk beside one another in our valleys of dry bones. And of those moments when sorrow and regret are so great that we almost can't help but just lock our doors and try to ignore everything going on outside because we're just too afraid. It's a tough call. 
because you know what we say every year is the Pentecost is the birthday of the church. But please notice there was no sanctuary born that day inside, separate from people. The church is born when people who breathe in God's new spirit leave and breathe it out into a world that is reeling for some new air. The church is born when people who are winded in their own living somehow trust that God is able to do something new and more and they trust it enough to leave and breathe that out on people who can't breathe themselves. The church is born when we put our oxygen mask on in the airplane and then put it on those next to us. I don't always know what that looks like. I mean, the truth is I don't think any of us always know. And I don't, I've just said I don't know what that looks like. I want to make sure I qualify that. And I'm not here to talk to you about politics because here's the bottom line. There are people within 15 minutes of us who don't need your politics right now. They need your compassion. There are people within 15 minutes of us who do not need the first thing we say be about any kind of politics. They need to know, oh my God, your children are dead. And we will walk along beside you, even if we don't know how. Friends, I'm not saying we don't need to pursue some changes in the future. I'm saying what people 15 minutes from us need right now is to know that they're not alone. That God has not abandoned them. That in their moment of dry bones, God has not left them alone. I suppose the question is whether we trust that's true or not ourselves and whether or not we can do the difficult thing really easy to turn to anger and blame and disappointment and frustration right now. That's easy. The hard thing for us is to start with compassion and solidarity. I think that's why this one is so hard. It's so close. It's so close. And friends, we're not naive. This isn't the first time and it won't be the last. That psalm, I heard it for the first time in my life today when it was sung. It was really, really tremendous. In the middle of that, the question is, where will we live? And what air will we breathe? I'm not a scientist, but I do understand that the sum of the same molecules of air that Jesus Christ himself breathed are still in the atmosphere. Have you heard this before? Marty's saying this is right. He's a scientist. I trust him. <laughs> I can solve a math problem. This is not one of those. So that in some ways we have this exceptional choice before us. What kind of air do we breathe? What kind of life informs us? I'm not silly because I know that the air that Idi Amin is also in the atmosphere. And Adolf Hitler and you name it. The question about Pentecost is what kind of air are we going to breathe in? Will we be inspired by God? And what's the criterion? It has nothing to do with what we feel like. It has to do with what we breathe out. Ordinary breathing is about us 
putting CO2 into the air. Extraordinary breathing is about us putting life into other people, especially when it's hard. Extraordinary breathing is about being the one who stands beside people when they're hurting. Extraordinary breathing is about the promise that even when we can't see it, especially then, God is with us. God holds for us bigger life than we can even imagine. Extraordinary breathing is not even where we put our experience, it's where we put our trust. And this is the call and gifting of our day. The call is to make God visible with the way we talk to each other and the way we stand beside one another with the words we speak out. Are those words life-giving? Are they true? Do they build goodwill and better relationships for all involved? That's extraordinary breathing. Are they honest? Are they compassionate? That's extraordinary breathing. The Holy Spirit is called the Holy Spirit because the Spirit is not ordinary. The Spirit is extraordinary, and we are called to make an invisible spirit visible with the way we conduct ourselves. And that's exactly why, don't you see, in the middle of celebration and sorrow, of shock and grief, this is the day to baptize a child into God's family child who is beautiful and not known to most of you, a child who we are getting ready to have the moment to say, listen, I didn't know you well, but I promise I will uphold you if I can in God's life. You're going to say that in just a second. I hope you are. Let me tell you, I hope that there is 100% participation when the words, we will, come about. And then I hope that those words inform not just how we treat Grayson, but how we treat one another. Will you persevere in justice? Will you uphold this person and this family and the person sitting next to you in the pew and the mothers and fathers in Santa Fe and the people wherever you see them? Will you uphold them? living into the larger life that God intends. And this is our response to tragedy. To grieve it. And in the middle of our grief to say, we will uphold life. We will uphold life today. In Grayson, in our neighbor, in the world. Family, would you come up now?